Amen. All right, you ready for this one, Joey? You're going to guess it right? Okay, confident. Give it up for Joey. He's very confident tonight. Praise God. Intern there. It all began with one seemingly simple act of rebellion. That's all it was, just a little small act of rebellion, right, Joey? Oh, man, I, let's just close in prayer. We're going downhill fast. But anyway, so, so anyway, so one small act of rebellion, and, and you see the old king had passed away, and so a new king obviously was installed. And so when the people came to the new king and they asked him if he would relieve some of the older king's burdens, you know, that he had put on him, the new king replied this, oh, yeah? <laughs> the old king uh, made your yoke heavy. I'm going to make it even heavier. The old king scourged you with whips. I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. Well, that was it, man. That was the last straw. No more of this baloney. Five, six, true story. Five, six of this man's kingdom simply got up and walked away. And so they went north and they traveled there for a while and they established their own kingdom. And, but the problem was the spirit of rebellion never left these people either. In fact, it got even worse. Year after year, king after king, they not only continued to rebel against their brothers, they even rebelled against God. They set up detestable idols, they set up this false system of worship, and they became just as evil and just as wicked as the rest of the world. And they're supposed to be God's people. Well, that was it. God had enough. He reached his own limitations with them. And so the command was given. A pagan army was sent to take them out now. And it wasn't just any old army, no siree. This one was so horrific that even the mentioning of their name struck absolute terror in the hearts of anyone that heard it. Why? Because listen to this, that when this army took down a people, they didn't just take them down. Listen, history records they flayed them alive. They skinned them alive. They impaled them on posts. They beheaded them. They burned them alive. They ripped out their eyes. They cut off their fingers, their noses, and their ears. And that's still in all. They placed people's heads, their hands, their arms, their lower lips on the conquered city's walls as a message. And they placed their skulls and noses on top of stakes. And they piled up corpses into giant heaps to freak people out. And they saved some back just to feed the dogs with. That's what these people really did. And so it was these once proud, rebellious people, the people who actually claimed to be the rightful people of God, were wiped out. The books, of course, are First and Second Kings, and the judgment is Assyrian captivity. That's right, whoever said that. Assyrian captivity. Was that you, Joey? Don't lie. You're an intern. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> Excuse me? Now, most of us, I think if we are familiar somewhat with the Old Testament, you've heard about the uh, Israel going into captivity, the ten tribes, right? And if you recall, there in the text, it says that the Assyrians came down and they took him into captivity. Okay, later he had that what was called the Babylonian captivity with the southern two tribes. Okay, and, uh, but this is the first one that went to 10 tribes and it was because their rebellion. Okay, now here's the point. How many guys realize though, you might have heard of the Assyrian captivity. Okay, but how many guys realize how horrific his history records for us that was? Most of us don't. Okay, just like when we saw with the Jerusalem. When Jesus prophesied Jerusalem, how horrible that was. They even resorted to cannibalism. History records that Josephus. Okay, and so it is with this Assyrian captivity. Now, the reason why is you are starting to hopefully get the theme of this. I bring these uh, judgments up is because, listen, that wasn't just a judgment, but that judgment came from the hand of who? God. And so what does that tell us? God isn't just real, but God is the one who has a limitation with what? Sin. And so one day when you least expect it, what's going to happen? Bang, hammer's coming down and he's going to judge it, right? And so again, we've been seeing, well, you would think then when you read that in the Bible or you hear about that, if a Christian teaches it or tells somebody else, then the logical response would be what? Phew, man, I better get right with God uh, so I don't suffer the coming judgment of God. If he did that in the past and he warns about he's going to judge it again in the future, sin, the world, I better get right now so I don't miss the boat, right? What's the problem? We've been seeing that our world is being lied to. We at once were lied to. 
We were under the illusion, the lie called evolution. And evolution has not only produced this last day society of us scoffing people, okay, specifically, Peter says, about the flood, the first judgment, okay, but uh, it also has produced in this people, if they even want to flirt with the idea that there is a God, the one thing that our world today, if you notice, because some people do believe in God or say they believe in God, right? But what is one thing that our world absolutely refuses to even believe about God? That God is a God who will judge or punish sin, right? They, they make him look like he's some cosmic Santa Claus in the sky, some big sugar daddy, right? And he wouldn't even hurt a flea, some grandfather who would... No, God is loving, praise God. He's so loving that he sent Jesus Christ so we could escape the judgment to come and for all eternity in hell. But be rest assured, he also is God. And he is a God who is holy, he is holy, he is holy, and the hammer's coming down when it comes to sin. If you don't want to take his way out, you're going to pay the price, okay? And so that's what's really sad about our situation, folks. Our world has no clue because they're not getting it from the media, they're not getting it from the educational system, so guess who's the last resort? You and I, and that's why we're going to continue uh, in our study, The Witness of Creation. And what we're doing, again, is taking a look at the different evidences that God's left behind for us, showing us that he's not just real. We really can have a beautiful relationship with him through Jesus Christ before it's too late, right? Before, and that's the whole thing. There is seriously uh, a precedent there. And we've already seen the first evidence that he's shown us this truth was an intelligent creation or intelligent design. We saw the second one was the evidence of a young creation or young earth evidence. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. We'll see that again, even with the Grand Canyon. The third evidence was the evidence of a special creation. Played the little game, if you recall. We will ignore all the evidence for intelligent design, implying a designer, i.e. God. We'll give you all your millions and billions of years. Does it even work? No, it doesn't work. All your mechanisms, in fact, they even admit it. And then if you recall the last four times, we've been taking a look at the fourth evidence, and that's the evidence of a judge creation, i.e. God really did judge this world once. He's going to do it again, folks. First time it was with a flood. The second time... At the end of the millennial kingdom, new heavens, new earth, it's going to be with fire, okay? And we've been taking a look at the proof, not just taking the Bible's word for it, not that that's bad, hello, okay? But since we live in a skeptical, scoffing society, because we are being attacked for our belief system, we're taking a look at the facts as well. And we've already taken a look that there really was, based on evidence of languages and legends and lineages and things of that nature, great fossilization, millions and billions of dead things buried in rock layers all over the world. Gee, where'd that come from? Uh, a flood. Okay, and we took a look at it also with the waters that came from above, the Grand Deluge. Also, last time you were here, we saw it with a grand uprising. The waters came from two places, folks, not just from above. It came from where? Down below. And when it came from below, boy, did it uh, mess up the real estate pretty bad. That's why Earth is in the shape it's in. And we saw the evidence because there's still massive water down below. Skeptics would say if there was a worldwide flood, then where'd all the water go? Well, you know, go with John and and Ruth, and Ron and Mary next time at the you know, Bahamas, and look out the window. It's called the oceans, right? They're still covering most of the planet, right? And uh, about three-fourths, okay? Uh, but also, uh, the rest of them went back into where they came from, down into the earth, and we saw there's massive amounts of waters, literally oceans upon oceans, still in, under the crust of the earth. Massive uh, mountains rising from the below. The Bible says that the mountains rose and the valleys sank down. Remember that? And that's exactly what we see. And of course, we find marine life on the tops of those mountains. How in the world did that get there? How many guys uh, just, it was just, it was a milestone moment. You're probably like a, a I don't know, what John, have you ever hiked over here? One of these over here? Or hiked over there? And uh, when you're over there, uh, it actually it was kind of a letdown. It, your self-esteem went, because here you were, man, you were going for two hours strong. You're almost to the top. Next thing you know, you saw this blur go right past you. And it was a whale. It's like, man. Mm. You know, at first you were beating the clams and, yeah, a killer whale, that's right, yeah. 
No, what are whales doing on the top of these mountaintops? Well, only a flood explains that, as we saw with that study, okay? So, but now we're going to take a look at the other evidence, okay? Not only did the mountains rise up, but the valley sank down, okay? And the water, got it, we're going to see in our text tonight, uh, he pulled the plug, so to speak. And so what we see now is we have a galloping runoff, okay? So we're going through the stages in order, scripturally, of the flood. We saw how it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but the waters came up also down from below. It beat the earth up big time, Gabar, I believe, in the Hebrew, for 150 days. And then after that, God says, okay, here goes the water. So we're going to take a look at that proof tonight. Let's go to our text there, Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8 talks about this. What happened right after God decided to say, all right, that's enough water. I'm going to let it go down now. Okay, Genesis chapter 8. If you find the glossary, what do you do? Something. Does anybody know the difference between glossary and index? Are you serious? Give it for John. John, you get our first piece of gum tonight. What's sue, sue, suh? Anyway, that's right. Genesis chapter 8. <laughs> Let's take a look at verses 1 through 5 here and take a look at what happened when God decided that's enough water. Okay, and when you get there, say moo. Moo, all right. But God, oh, this is awesome. This will preach. But God remembered Noah. How many guys are glad that God doesn't forget you when you're in a dark place? when you're holed up somewhere, when you're going through a trial, right? But God remembered Noah. Now, not a priest, but that's not the message tonight. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters what? Receded, all right? So he pulls the plug, so to speak. So now the springs of the deep and the, the, the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain stopped falling from the sky, so the water didn't just recede. What does it say there? Receded steadily, okay? So it was a regular steady a quick right there, from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. In fact, the waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains were visible. Okay? So here we have, according to the Bible, after the water had finally stopped coming on the earth, the next logical thing that's recorded by God was he caused the waters to not just recede, he caused them to recede steadily. All right, And that makes obviously perfect sense because put yourself in that position. You got not just a little bit of water, you got the whole planet covered with water. You got the whole planet covered with water to the tops 20 feet above the highest mountains, right? How many of you guys would say that's a lot of water? Okay, and so obviously, logically then, when God says, I need this thing to recede at a pretty good rate, uh, it's not just going to decline a little dribble here and a little dribble there, okay? It's going to go off in a pretty good rate, right? Logically, and, and so that's what we see. And then you would think, well, wait a second, logically, if um, the water started moving, being drained, and started moving across the world on a global scale at a massive rate, uh, the runoff is going to do some interesting things to the topography of the planet, right? Remember, everything's completely covered in water. Okay, and we're going to see tonight two stages as the water drains to explain what's going on with the topography uh, of the earth, okay? And the first stage is, if we saw for 150 days, the dirt, everything's been messed up, been beat up by the water for 150 days, okay? But over that time, the, the dirt has had time to settle, right? How many guys can verify that when dirt is in water, it's kind of soft? You incredible scholars, you. Yes, that's right. All right, so you got soft dirt on a global scale. Now you got global water moving in a massive rate. What's it going to do to all that dirt? It's going to slide off, and it's going to move it in a massive fashion, right? Okay, and that's what we're going to see tonight. The first evidence, there really was a galloping runoff, a quick receding on a global scale of water of some sort. Gee, where'd it come from? 
okay, is massive wrapping water. And we're going to take a look at a couple different evidences that our planet had water not just covering it, but moving across it on a massive quick scale, just like the Bible says. And the first one is the evidence of rapid sanding, okay? How many guys can verify here in Las Vegas that uh, we're not next to the ocean? All right? So why in the world do we find sand, uh, which is indicative of ocean, next to the ocean, around in our area? Well, here's why. This is what we're going to see. It just so happens, folks, that uh, we not only find huge, thick layers of sandstone, okay, in the earth, we find it all over the earth. And the question is, where in the world did all this sand come from? Well, as you can see with the pictures there, not so surprisingly, the evidence indicates it was transported by water over entire continents that at one time must have encircled the globe. I wonder what that was, okay? Massive, huge, massive, gigantic waves we can't even dream of. When God pulls the plug, water's going to start shifting, moving, <laughs> receding, and it's going to go across continents. And that's what we see with the evidence. For instance, it's been discovered, listen, this, sec this is secular people, they admit this, folks, uh, the sand grains in northern Arizona have actually come from Pennsylvania, New York, they traced them back, okay, and they still further north in Canada. How did that get there? Okay, they were transported 1,250 miles all the way across North America, which obviously poses a problem for evolution, right? Okay, according to evolution, there is no known system of transporting sand all the way across America, let alone for millions of years. It just doesn't happen, not on that scale. There's no way. And they, they frankly have no answer. Now, as we have understood their terminology now, anytime evolution comes across something that they have no answer for, what do they call it? Uh, anomaly. And that makes it okay. Turn the page. No, it doesn't. It didn't explain anything, right? You can label it whatever you want. You have no explanation, okay? But guess what? If you listen to the Bible, if you read the Bible and listen to what God says, it makes perfect sense. It was all created at the flood. In fact, many geologists are now admitting that only a worldwide flood could have transported these massive amounts of sediments that we see all over the world, okay? Brought them into the inland areas, okay? Then we also have rapid erasing. Now, this is kind of cool. Now, now, again, keep in mind, this is, we're looking at the topography of the earth. You just go, especially here, this is why I love being out here. The topography is wild, man. You got red rock over here, and you got, uh, what's the, the valley of fire over here. It's just like, man, this is incredible. We don't realize we've been so integrated and lied to with evolution that we don't go, wow, look what was created at the flood, okay? Because that's what, where it came from. It didn't take millions of years for these things to form, right? And this is what you see with erasing the land, okay? Massive sand deposits everywhere, but there's also massive erasing everywhere that only a worldwide flood explains, okay? And so let's put it to the test. If there really was a worldwide flood and there was huge massive runoffs, God pulls the plug, Remember, everything's still underwater, but here starts coming these massive waves as, as it's going across, okay, the soft sediments down below, okay, then we'd expect to find huge areas of land that are wiped clean, okay, flat as a pancake, right? Because here's a big old giant wave, even if it was uneven, when that wave gets done, what's it do, right? You guys ever been in the ocean, right, next to Tom's house? No, okay, that's cool, uh, but uh, uh, like, have you ever dug uh, at the beach and you dug a hole in there, right? That's a guy thing, right? That was like a moth to a flame. As soon as we get to the beach, what's Billy do? <laughs> Digging a hole, right? And then we've got to make a castle. And we've got to do that stuff, right? But if you get it too close or if you get too long in the day when the tide changes, what does the water do? It comes in and what is it? What is it? Just one wave. What will it do? Wipe and wipe it what? Flat and clean, right? Imagine the whole planet like that on a massive scale, it's going to just 
do the same thing to the earth, okay? And that's exactly what we find. They're called planation. They have a term for it, okay? And, be, uh, and that's because there are huge areas of land that have been planed, that's why they call it planations, like a, a flat, like a, a, a wood planer does to wood. Like so, like Orson, he's building the shop there. You get this lumpy piece of wood, you put it through this thing called a planer, and you, of course you use it and you can't hear for 19 hours. You ever use one of those in shop class? Thank you, Freddie. I worked on that sound all week just for you. Okay. And it's just, what's it do when it comes out the other end? Makes it flat, right? Well, this is what we see on the earth on a massive scale. Something just came in there and just planed this uh, flat, okay? The only tool they say, they admit, they admit that it had to have been water, and not just water, but tons of it. Massive sheets of water somehow, some way, was apparently going across the earth. I wonder what that was. Okay, it's like this video shows. Here we are at the south rim of the Grand Canyon at about 7,000 feet elevation and the, the rocks that uh, appear here at the south rim are, are limestones and, and as we study these limestones we, we see some very unusual features, some very interesting features. We, we see first off that there are fossils in here. We see sponges. Now what sort of an environment do sponges grow in? Well today sponges grow of course at the bottom of the ocean and the same with the brachiopods that we find here and coral. These are ocean bottom creatures. Evidently these rocks were accumulated as muds at the bottom of the ocean. But here we are at 7,000 feet elevation, and, and could this be an ocean bottom? Evidently, the ocean covered the continent sometime in the past. The plateau that we're sitting on has an interesting story of its own to tell. Look around the rim of this canyon. See how flat it is? Imagine if this canyon was filled in. If it wasn't here, this was one great vast plain before this canyon was cut. Now what do we think of when we usually think of a vast plain, a flat surface? We usually think of a depositional environment, a depositional surface, something like the bottom of a lake bed or the bottom of the ocean. The only way we can get this kind of flat erosion is if we have some sheet-like, what we call sheet erosion, which happens when you have a flood of water, huge amounts of water sweeping over a surface in a short enough amount of time that it can't form channels. It just simply sweeps away everything, leaving it clean and smooth. And that's what I believe happened here. When I think of the incredible amount of sheet-like erosion that would be necessary to produce a plane of this size, it brings to mind a catastrophic flooding event where incredible amounts of water were running off of the continent. This could have been even of the magnitude of Noah's flood. Oh, that, oh, by the way, that guy, he's a Ph.D. geologist and admits that the only way you can create this on this massive scale was what? A flood. Why don't you put that in the textbook? Why don't you show that on the History Channel? Okay, and these are scientists, folks. Okay, they admit it. But that's not all. Uh, the planations are not only amazingly flat, they're huge. And we're talking on a massive scale. And again, it fits perfectly the text. We're talking a massive amount of water on a global scale. This is huge. Some of them cover an area of over 600 square miles miles. In fact, one researcher noted that uh, thanks to modern satellite technology, uh, we can see that 60% of Africa alone is a series of these flat planation services. Something just went wow and shaved a massive amount of land uh, flat. And uh, that leads to the next one, shaving, okay? Not only do we find rapid erasing, okay, but shaving, and shaving specifically of mountains all over the world. Evolution does not have an explanation for that. In fact, if you notice, and here's some pictures, Many of the mountain ranges literally have their peaks shaved right off. Something came in there and literally just mowed them down. 
Okay, uh, and I love this picture. This is a picture of the granite peaks. Granite peaks of the Beartooth Mountains in Montana. How in the world did solid granite get shaved off the top of these mountains? I mean, it looks like somebody had a gigantic saw and just went... Well, the only way they could happen on that kind of a massive scale is when they were still soft and when something with massive force came across and just shaved them off. I wonder what that might have been. A flood. Evolution has no answer for this. Uh, there's also other peaks, and I'll share your pictures there. There's a flat top mountain, table mountain, flat top butte, etc. Notice that they even name them what they are, flat. And they don't put two and two together. How do they get so flat, right? According to evolution, I thought all the mountain tops should be like this and just pitted with the erosion stuff. Why do we have them just perfectly flat like something came in there and shaved them off? I don't know. It's an anomaly. Turn the page. Okay, that's all they do. And the problem is evolution, again, has no answer as to why, but of course the Bible does. It was a flood. The waters continued to recede from the flood, and as it did, it caused huge, massive sheets of water to race all across the continents. And when there were you know, still peaks going on down at the bottom, took the tops of them right off. Lickety-split in a short amount of time. That's what we see. In fact, speaking of mountaintops, we also know they have not been here for millions and billions of years. Flip it around. Put the pressure on evolution. If there really were here mountains for millions and billions of years, they should have long since eroded into pitted peaks by now, but they're not. Right? Even the ones that are flat, according to evolution, if they've been here for millions and millions of years, why haven't they gone back to being pointy peaks? Why are they still flat? It almost gives the impression that they haven't been here that shape and that uh, size and that way for very long. You know, certainly, again, fits the time frame of the biblical flood. Okay? So you put all that together, you deal with the biblical text, and uh, I'd say that I believe that uh, when God pulled the plug uh, and the waters began to recede very rapidly... I, I believe that not only because the Bible says so, but when you take a look at the topography, I'd say the topography says so, right? You know, if there really was a rapid uh, of, of runoff of water on a global scale, then we should see large areas of land that are completely white, flat, clean. We should see the, the bumpy spots, the mountains. Several of them should be flat. I mean, if it happened, that's what we should find. Well, guess what we find, Ron? That's exactly what we find, okay? Evolution has no answer. Once again, biblical flood, 100% explains every bit of it, okay? But that's not all. The second evidence showing us that there really was a massive receding very quickly after the flood is with rapid erosion. Not only water moving on a massive scale, but now this is where we get into stage two. It's going to start causing erosion, okay? So another thing that we'd find, if, you, if the waters continue to recede, when this first stage here was creating these waves, okay, you still got a lot of dirt down here, but it's, it's, it's moving, it's starting to recede, and it's starting to shave off big areas of land, mountaintops. That's what we see today. But as the waters continue to recede, eventually it's going to get to the level of the dirt, right? And then it's going to start to create puddles, right? So if you notice, every time it rains, okay, you find out it looks flat to you, uh, but then it creates these things called puddles. Why do they have rain and puddles? Because that's where the dip is, right? So it's, it's a lower elevation. So that's what you're going to see. And at some point, the water's going to get to that point, you're going to see massive, huge puddles, i.e. lakes, massive lakes, on the earth, but it's going to continue to recede. And as it recedes, then it's going to start carving these channels and things, okay, uh, over the earth. Now, that's logical. That's what we see in the biblical order, if God's going to drain the world like that. And so the question is, is that what we see? Yeah. And not just with the planations and the flat areas, not only with the shaved mountaintops, but now when you move to the second level, when the water finally got to that point where now it's matching the dirt, it's starting to carve stuff, all the scars that we see on the earth, have also been caused by the flood. And the only one that I have time to deal with, of course, the big pot one, is the scarring of Grand Canyon. 
okay? And this is what's sad. Five million reports are five million people visit Grand Canyon every single year. Five million. And think about how much evolution is like, because everybody, by and large, that goes there, sister goes, wow, look at what the Colorado River carved over millions and millions of years. And they don't think about God. They don't think about flood. They don't think about Noah. They don't think about God's hatred towards sin. They don't think about, wow, that was caused at the, the flood, God's judgment. And none of that goes in their brain, right? All because of the lie of evolution, okay? So the question is, all right, let's deal with the evidence here. Uh, was the Grand Canyon carved over millions and millions of years by the Colorado River? No, we're going to take a look at the evidence, folks. And uh, it was caused very rapidly as the waters begin to reach uh, the lower levels and begin to breach all these giant puddles that were created on the earth, breached and created it in soft sediment very quickly. That's what the evidence shows, okay? First of all, evolution's got some major problems. You can say all you want that the Grand, Colorado River carved uh, 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 the Grand Canyon over millions of years, but you got some problems. And the first one is the dirt. Okay, what about the dirt? Okay, where'd the dirt go? And this is because the Colorado River, if it really did carve the Grand Canyon over 70 million years, that's what they propose. Okay, this would amount to, if you do the math, 11.8 million billion tons of dirt or 1.3 million cubic miles of rock, which is 1,500 times the volume of Grand Canyon. Okay, therefore, that amount of dirt, that's a lot, in case you're hooked on math, um, you, should, you should be able to find that, right? I mean, if it really happened and it, it took that long to, to push all that dirt out, it's got to go somewhere, so we should find it. Maybe at the end or something, right, Lon? Well, guess what, folks? We don't. They got There's no dirt. There's absolutely no trace of any huge delta or dirt deposit anywhere uh, if this were true, okay? In fact, this is a true story. One of the Grand Canyon's most famous tour guides, this guy named John Hans, he was caught off guard with this question by a four-year-old girl, the innocence of a little kid. When kids always asked him about how the Grand Canyon was formed, he would always reply, I dug it. Well, that worked for a while until this four-year-old true story came up to him and asked him, and where did you put the dirt? Listen to this. Hans had no answer, and from that day forward, he never used the story again. In fact, it bothered him so much for the rest of his life that on his deathbed, true story, he actually whispered to his friends, where do you suppose I could have put that dirt? Yeah. If it really was carved by the canyon, we should find so much dirt. Uh, it, it's not there. So, okay, so that's problem number one. Another huge problem is the elevation problem. Okay, people usually don't get this one. Uh, and that's if they say that the Colorado River carved the Grand Canyon, okay, uh, the Grand Canyon is not perfectly flat all the way there. When you look at the side view, you got a major deal going on. Okay, the side view of the canyon reveals a huge raised area. You can see a side view here. Okay, now from the aerial view, right, from our view, it looks kind of flat, right? It's not. You look from a side view, and topography, it's called the Kaibab Uplift or Kaibab uh, Plateau. Okay, it's a huge, giant lump there. Okay, And so this means, according to evolution, that the Colorado River not only supposedly carved out the Grand Canyon over millions and millions of years, but it must have, according to evolution, it did so flowing uphill thousands of feet for millions and millions of years, which is ludicrous. Right? Like this guy shares. Let's take a look. Textbook says, the Colorado River has cut through layer upon layer of rock over millions of years. Well, now hold on a minute. This textbook says, the Colorado River cut through 2,000 meters of rock, exposing sediment layers like huge pages in the Book of Life. Scan the canyon wall from rim to floor, and you look back through hundreds of millions of years. I don't think so. 
I was in a debate one time, and this atheist said, Hovind, you're so stupid. Don't you know it took millions of years to carve the Grand Canyon? I said, well, sir, there's a couple things you ought to learn about Grand Canyon. If you built a dam across Grand Canyon, a huge lake would fill in behind it, covering several states, okay? <laughs> I mean, take a lot of dirt to build a dam, but if you could build a dam across that canyon, you'd have a really big lake. Actually, some of the water from Wyoming drains through the Grand Canyon. It has a huge drainage pattern. Here's a picture of it, satellite false color uh, image. You can see Grand Canyon right there, a big gash right across a ridge in the mountains. You folks in Tennessee know what a ridge is. It's not really a mountain, just a big long ridge, okay? These two red lines indicate what's called the snow line, okay? Between those two red lines is a ridge that gets about uh, 6,900 to 8,500 feet above sea level. Now, the river enters the canyon at the far right over there at 2,800 foot elevation. The river flows downhill for 270 miles, comes out the other side. If you look at it from a side view, a schematic view, it'll look like this. The river comes in 2,800 foot elevation. The ground rises up while the river goes down for 270 miles. I said, now, sir, there's a few things you ought to consider about this canyon. I said, did you know the top of Grand Canyon is higher than the bottom? He said, obviously. I said, sir, did you know the river only runs through the bottom? He said, well, yeah. I said, sir, did you know the top is higher than where the river enters the canyon by over 4,000 feet? He got a dazed look on his face like a calf looking at a new gate. I said, sir, did you know rivers don't flow uphill in Tennessee? There's no delta. Where's the mud that washed out of Grand Canyon? Nobody has a clue, okay? That river did not make that canyon. Grand Canyon's a washed-out spillway. Grand Canyon was not made by the Colorado River over millions of years. Interesting. How many guys can verify that rivers do not flow uphill? Uh, uphill to the tune of 4,000 feet, let alone for 4,000 years steadily until it can carve it down. It's ridiculous, okay? And so that's the question. What then caused the Grand Canyon? And is there any really proof? Because obviously we're going to lean towards, well, it was created by the flood. But do we have any hard proof that it really was, in fact, uh, the flood, of course. Again, satellite technology, as was mentioned in the video, he said if you were to back it up, uh, it would create a huge, massive lake behind it, okay? In fact, uh, a lot of research, they've given it this name, Grand, uh, Grand Canyon, they give it uh, a Grand Lake, and it was formed uh, by a post-flood lake that eventually spilled over and tore through the sediments very rapidly. Remember, they're still soft, okay? But it was on a massive, huge scale, and it happened in no time at all, uh, like this guy shows. The hydroplates in sliding away from the oceanic ridges opened up very deep ocean basins into which the floodwaters retreated. Every continental basin was naturally left brimful of water, producing many post-flood lakes. Each lake that grew from rainfall or drainage from higher elevations spilled over its rim at the lowest point of the rim. That eroded a little notch in the rim allowing even more water to flow through the notch faster, cutting the soft flood-deposited sediments even deeper. This process accelerated until all the lake's water dumped through a very deep slit, forming a canyon. The largest of these was the Grand Canyon. North and east of the Grand Canyon was a huge lake that I have identified and named Grand Lake. Its dumping released more water than is in all five of the Great Lakes combined. Grand Lake spilled over its rim, 
eroded its dam 20 miles south of Page, Arizona, catastrophically forming the Grand Canyon within a few weeks. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense, anybody? And it didn't just make a lot of sense, it just happens to agree with the Bible. And it doesn't just make a lot of sense to agree with the Bible, but that's what the facts say. Right? Go figure. It's almost like we can trust God's word and no need to scoff, no need to, you know, doubt what he has to say, and we can trust him. And anybody start to see a pattern here? Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Okay, but then you might think, okay, well, that's an interesting theory, and that certainly seems to uh, put it all together for us. But, uh, okay, if evolution has no answer for this, okay, and, uh, and it sure looks like there, according to topography, there was a big lake behind there, uh, and, you know, we weren't there, and we couldn't videotape it, so that seems much more plausible. It seems to fill in the hole, so to speak, than what evolution can't answer. But do we have any uh, current examples uh, that it really did take place? Uh, yeah, and that's going to bring us to our final point. Uh, we have what I call God's big recent nanny nanny boo boo in Jesus' name. There is so much that happened at that event, Mount St. Helen, guys, that uh, has for a long silenced the mouth of the skeptic in that one great catastrophe because that was videotaped. That was documented. That did happen in our lifetime. And we got to see the effects of what could happen to the topography of the earth with not over millions and billions of years, as they would say, that it takes, but something could rearrange the real estate very quickly with one massive catastrophe, and that's what we have uh, with the Mount St. Helens. And one of the interesting things, amongst other things that we learn with what happens to the Earth with a giant catastrophe in a short amount of time, is we learn that that explosion dammed up, it's, uh, uh, just like what happened with the Grand Canyon, dammed up a river called the Toodle River. Okay, and just like has been presupposed with this Grand Lake, once it finally got to a certain point and it began to cut through the slit, it carved out in the soft sediment and created Grand Canyon very quickly. The exact thing happened, I believe, on a one to the fortieth scale on the Toodle River. The problem is it didn't take millions of years; it happened very quickly. Let's take a look at that. When Mount St. Helens blew in 1980. As soon as it began to blow out the top, within a few seconds, the whole north side of the volcano slid down. As this mud went sliding down at about 100 miles an hour, it uncorked the volcano and the steam and ash came shooting out. And Mount St. Helens on the far right was a one cubic kilometer ash cloud, real tiny compared to big volcanoes. You should see what the big ones do. It was considered a tiny volcano, but the ash that came flying out stratified into layers. As this mud went sliding down the side of the volcano, it did some strange things. The hot mud went sliding down and dammed up some creeks and rivers. It actually filled in the whole valley with hot mud. As the mud flowed down, you can see the satellite image here, or the picture, how that it flowed across the Toodle River. Now, chunks of ice as big as houses were blown off the volcano, and they were covered up by the hot mudslide. When you get hot mud on top of ice, you're going to have a problem because when ice turns to water, it's going to shrink a little bit. But then when it turns to steam, it's going to expand 1,700 times. And nothing is going to stop it. So these chunks of ice melted and vaporized and exploded under the mudslide and it had steam explosions. They actually thought the volcano was going off again, but it was the chunks of ice exploding under there. When it exploded, it blew out great big holes and the mud slumped back in and it made erosion marks all around the side of these steam explosion pits. The mud flowed across and stopped the Toodle River from flowing. 
Well, this mudslide filled in the valley. Several days later, there's a huge lake backed up behind it. As soon as that water got deep enough to go over the top of the dam, the mudslide, it washed it out. Rapid erosion took place. The mud built up, built up in the valley, and then the water built up behind it, and when it got going over the top, it started carving gullies, and pretty soon the main one took over, and the water went roaring through there, and it picked up all sorts of debris, sand, gravel, logs, tree stumps, and it became like liquid sandpaper. It went roaring through the crack, and it carved out a massive canyon 1,000 feet wide, 140 feet deep, and 2,000 feet long, and it carved it out in about 15 minutes. And at the bottom, you will see a little tiny creek flowing through there called the Toodle River. Now, if you think that little river made that big canyon, you are mistaken. That was done in one big catastrophe. See, when, once water starts going over a dam, erosion takes place very rapidly, and canyons can be washed out very quickly. That's what happened during the flood in the days of Noah. If you're willing to look at the world from a creationist perspective, it makes a whole lot more sense. The flood formed these features. This canyon that formed near Mount St. Helens, when they went down inside it to look at this canyon, they noticed the sides of it are all layers, stratified. Thousands and thousands of layers of strata. Now hold it, all that mud washed in there at one time, and the canyon was carved out at one time. Why would you have thousands of layers of strata? Well, you can get a jar of dirt, put some water in it, shake it up, and set it down, it'll settle out into layers for you in a few seconds, folks. You can watch it happen in your hands. As the mud was flowing in, it automatically separated. Now, I guarantee some professor is going to bring his kids here someday and say, boys and girls, each of these layers is a different age. And this represents 50 million years right here. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, professor. This represents one mudslide. In a few minutes, the rapid erosion took place on the north side of Mount St. Helens. And that little river at the bottom did not form the erosion marks. And the little river at the bottom of Grand Canyon did not form Grand Canyon either. It just happens to flow through the crack, that's all. And yet 5 million people a year <clears throat> visit that place. And how many of them come to the right conclusion? Oh my goodness. Look at what God did to this planet because he hates sin. And man, he said he's going to judge this planet again. Whew, that's enough proof for me. That message is real. God's real. I better get right with him, right? How many of them do you think ever come to that conclusion? Next to none, except creationists do go down there and talk about that. But that's very few. And how sad it is. And how many guys could see that? If the Lord should tarry, and if we were alive, you could see this happening. A hundred years from now, Evolutionists will take elementary kids down there on a field trip to the Toodle River, head up there, outside of Mount St. Helens, and they will say, look kids, look what happened over millions of years. The Toodle River took the this." Number one, it would be a lie. But folks, can I tell you, as facetious and goofy as that is now, that's what's happening every single day to people about the Grand Canyon. You know, the scripture talks about Satan, that Satan has blinded the eyes. He's blinded the minds of those who do not believe. I think one of his biggest blinders is this lie called evolution. People are looking at the evidence literally square in the face of God's judgment, but they're blind to it with this lie. 
They'll not get it anymore in the school, unfortunately. They're not going to get it in the media. We say this all the time. Therefore, where's the only place they're going to get this information from? You and I. So let's not just go, wow, that was pretty cool. Let's get busy sharing it with the lost around us so that their eyes can be open and get into the ark of Jesus before it's too late. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pull the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not 
inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly 
And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.